This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. Theo Greyhawk. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Earl Grey. I'm your host, Richard Marquez, and joined with me, as always, is the lovely Amy Nelson. How you doing, Amy? Oh, thank you so much. I love being lovely, and I'm excited to be talking Next Gen with you guys this week again. I know, we're, it's been a while. Well, they don't know that, but that's okay. <laughs> And joined with me also is our other host, the amazing Justin Ozer. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. Great to be called amazing. I hope I can live up to that today. Well, you better. <laughs> oh, okay. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all, right? <laughs> I'll try. Awesome. Awesome. Well, today we kind of have a new kind of episode and I hope you guys like it and we'll see what you guys think of it. So anyways, have you ever watched a Next Generation episode and gone, huh? And what I mean by huh, I mean, is that realistic? Is that unrealistic or what's going on uh, with that? So today we'll be discussing the realistic and unrealistic moments of TNG. And what I mean by that is that we're talking about like things that uh, that make you question: Is that right scientifically, or is that, or is that just something that they made it work uh, in the story? So that's what we're going to be pretty much talking about. So what we'll do is we'll go back and forth between each other, and um, we've chosen three realistic and hopefully uh, three unrealistic, because <laughs> I know that was the hard part for some of us. Um, and um, yeah, and I'll start. So one of the things that really that bothered me about the, uh, about TNG, or at least in certain parts of TNG, was the maneuvering of a shuttlecraft, and that's what that's what started this whole uh, idea for me for me to think of this idea. So I've heard that it's more accurate in space, but why wouldn't the space shuttle have something like a uh, like a joystick or something like that? Like like the, like a space shuttle. I mean, a space shuttle does. I mean, it's good enough for a space shuttle. Why not for a shuttlecraft? And obviously, we see a joystick pop out of the the ground or the deck plating or whatever you want to call it, the carpet. <laughs> um, for Riker in the movie that will not be mentioned, Insurrection. <laughs> um, I mean, and it was good enough for him to uh, to maneuver the Enterprise the way he was. I mean, what do you guys think? So are you talking about when they, you know, have these these panels where they're just kind of tapping away at the panel in order to move in three-dimensional space? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I what I the the. So I know how the joystick on a, on the space shuttle works. I mean, there's obviously certain clicks, and you can you can obviously move it, you know, in in flight mode, um, just like if you're like maneuvering through air. And I know there's um, someone, whoever, if you guys are anyone that knows anything about the space shuttle, please correct me, because from my understanding was is that there was also movements. If you move the controller to the right or left, it would fire thrusters in in that certain direction where you're trying to go. Um, and that was that was my thinking that why wouldn't something like that be in a shuttlecraft where it's like it just seems like if you're if you're trying to maneuver very fast you wouldn't be able to do that with a with a keypad yeah unless you got a mouse or something like that no i i, I could see that and th- and there's something about those kinds of displays as well where they're just tapping at the buttons they they look great but if you were trying to to actually use that in a real situation i don't know if it makes any sense they're just like kind of seem like randomly tapping these numbered buttons like how do they even know what that means right well right. and plus like if they lean on it which many times you see especially in engineering it's like oh we just activated thrusters and we're all spiraling you know so um it's interesting you bring that up because when I lived in Houston, I went to many times as much as I could the uh, Johnson Space Center and there they have great uh, displays of you know, everything NASA has and one of them is a little challenge and you use the joystick and you're trying to um, match up, uh, uh, oh, what is that called? You match up the shuttlecraft to the dock of the International Space Station, a simulation And so, yeah, you've got and the joystick is very, very sensitive and you have to make sure you line things up. And it definitely the joystick seems to make sense in a 3D because you have to and I don't know all the vocab, but you have to get the correct tilt and angle and speed and, and just there's so much involved and it's all controlled with this joystick. So I, I can see what you're saying. It doesn't really bother me because I'm not that much of a pilot in sense, but I, I can see what you're saying, why that would be unrealistic and takes you a little bit out of the episode. Didn't they have like a robotic arm before the ISS um, was launched? At there at the Johnson Space Center, I don't. I, yeah, I, I, they yeah. do, and you can view it. Yeah, you can see it and stuff like that. It's really cool. Oh, right on, right on. That's cool. I've never actually been there. I've only seen pictures and videos of people doing it, and it's it it's. I, I need to get down there. <laughs> well, these days I need to get down there. Yeah, when I lived there and my parents came to visit me, I was like, "Hey, we're going to the Johnson Space Center." Whenever anyone came to visit, I took them there. They have a great. A visitors area and it's it's really amazing i would recommend it to anyone in the houston area awesome i'm, I'm sure zach will love that yes <laughs> yeah maybe we can uh, stop by and he can take us on a tour oh, oh there you go field trip <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice nice right on so um amy what uh did you pick uh what what did you pick for unrealistic this one always takes me out of the episode whenever i see it and i just roll my eyes and say oh this is not even real and that is and maybe you listeners can relate whenever i see those big yellow and blue barrels 
in Cargo Bay. They annoy the crap out of me because it's so unrealistic, especially when they're supposedly carrying this heavy material and all this cargo. And then they like if the shuttle bay doors open and they just fly out, it looks like they weigh nothing or when the barrel lands on Worf and it, you know, cripples him. I forget the name of that episode. Ethics. Yes, ethics. Yeah. yeah. And he, yeah. And the barrels fall down and they bounce. And I'm like, really? They're going to bounce off someone's back? I just, that to me is unrealistic. What do you guys think about that? I don't think Michael Dorn would want to actually be hit by a heavy barrel. <laughs> <laughs> Stun but yeah, it, but yeah it, it looks like it's, it's just you know, there's just air inside. It's true. Yeah. That bugs me. Like, and even with other shows, when they're trying to pick up, like if just even like a regular sitcom and and someone's moving and they have all these moving boxes and they lift them up, it's, and they weigh like one pound. I'm like, that's not realistic. Or like the paper mache rocks that Data and Worf can only pick up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, I wonder, maybe in Discovery, if they have some barrels, they'll uh, look more realistic because they'll just like CG them or something. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I would not doubt it. (laughs) Well, maybe the anti-grav plating uh, in the cargo bay is off for a little bit. Maybe. What about you, Justin? What'd you pick? All right. So <clears throat> my first pick requires a little bit of background. So I work as a, a, in my day job, I work as a project manager for a company that does uh, cloud financial solutions. And I work as part of an integration team. So I work with with engineers who are helping to, to customize the product, right? And I'm not an engineer myself, but I'm helping to coordinate this stuff. And even sometimes the simplest work, what seems like the simplest work can take days and weeks if not months, right? But but there'll be these things on the next generation where it's like, oh my goodness, you know, that we got to push this this uh, asteroid out of the way, or you know, we've got to do something on this planet. Can you do that? And they'll be like, yep, I'll have it ready in a couple hours. I think that is unless things change drastically in a couple hundred years, I think that's extremely unrealistic because you would need like you have this complex starship, right? that took years and years to design and to to implement everything. And you've got these really sensitive systems and you're going to do some manipulation to that system within a couple of hours. I mean, because I, you, you need, I thinking of it from the, the process that I see the engineers I, I work with from, you need to, to have like a use case for how are these things going to work? What are the different scenarios? And then they develop it, they QA it, you know, they do a test and then you can actually use it, which can take weeks and months. So I know it's within the confines of a, of a, uh, you know, an hour show, but whenever I see that, since I've had this job, it always bugs me like, oh yeah, we'll just have that ready in a couple hours or a day or something like that. It doesn't seem like it would take that short a period of time and that it would actually work. You know, you have the same issue like I have with crime shows. How is that for crime shows? Well, I mean, I mean like some of the, uh, so my, my degrees in criminal justice. So obviously, you know, I've gone through all, you know, seen the ins and outs of police departments and what and whatnot. But like when they're talking about like on like CSI obviously started the whole um I 
hate calling it this way, but the police trend of everyone basically wanting to become CSI when they finally find out that it takes four years of a bachelor degree in criminal justice on top of that four years of chemistry and criminology. And, and, and that's not even a guarantee because most cities can't even afford a, a CSI. They only have maybe one, maybe two. I think Denver only has three, I think total. Um, and they still help out with the rest of the, um, uh, so basically they glamorize the job and, um, uh, at my school that I went to, it was an influx of it. And like, obviously, you know, yeah, okay. It's a 40 minute show. I know I get it, but like, um, you know, typically a cold case or even a a normal murder case or something like that does not take that, that short amount of time. (laughs) And that, and it just drove me nuts. It got so bad that I I had to stop watching them because I was like, Oh no, 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 no. I I can't watch this. (laughs) But that's what bothers me about, um, criminal justice or or, uh, crime shows is that it doesn't take, it takes months sometimes or even years or it may, it may not even get uh, solved. Who knows? You know? So, yeah. Yeah. I can see your point with, especially like when they are adjusting the engines to do something that's not the normal. And so, yeah, to change all those processes to reconfigure control panels and, I mean, I don't know enough, but I can see where you're coming from that. Yeah, that is going to take not just a few hours, but definitely a lot longer to change the entire function or, you know, output of these engines to fit the need of the story. The planet will be gone by then. Yeah. I mean, but but they, they have, I mean, especially in TNG, they have all of these solutions like, oh, we're just going to do this and that and and we'll do this with it, this field or that field. And it just doesn't seem realistic. It would probably take weeks or, or months to do something like that because there's all of these, you would think like really intricate systems and layers and levels to it. And they make it seem like, you know, Jordy just pokes around at a couple of things and it's good, you know? Well, I think they use the word modify. Oh, I'm just going to modify it. Like it's just a little switch. Yeah. You know, and, and so instead in, in real life, it would take major changing of functions like that. So yeah. And, and even the smallest modification can break something else. That's what I've found doing the job that I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cause everything's interconnected. It is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, if one thing changes, it screws up something else that you had no idea that was going to affect. <laughs> Always happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, as we're doing, we're not going to try to do negative, completely negative here. So we're also going to do realistic here and hopefully we can do three. Um, but one of my one of my favorite realistic things and um, think Geek uh, just brought it out. The communicator badges that you can Bluetooth and everything. I well, that thing's amazing. I don't know if you guys seen that um, in real life. I mean, it it works miraculously. I don't understand how they can pack all that, even though I got this that can do probably ten times more. <laughs> and this when meaning your Apple Watch, listeners. Right, exactly. He's pointing to his Apple Watch. Sorry, I was just about to say that. <laughs> But like, you know, you would think that, uh, so, I mean, it's great that, you know, technology, I mean, obviously, hopefully, I mean, 
I guess you could call this un- unrealistic because I would assume that it uh, it would need uh, like something to back it up, like a like a smartphone or something like that, or or maybe even a transmitter, because obviously a small little dinky little uh, badge is not going to be able to communicate with a ship that's like what like 600 miles up uh, up above <laughs> something like that but like um that's one of my favorite one of my favorite uh realistic things that have just been starting to happening is that these bluetooth technologies are finally taking off and actually performing like they're supposed to or like they do in the show in in fact but obviously with a little help so i wondered if they have to take their communicator off and then charge it it's you would think it would have to unless it has like a little nuclear power source that can power it for a long time right <laughs> I mean, you know, unless it's like a well, mini. Well, Datas doesn't need to. <laughs> yeah. he, he's probably so, he's, this is probably like wireless charging. Yeah. <laughs> right through his suit. <laughs> oh, I could see that. But if he has wireless charging, then why can't he wirelessly send commands to the ship? <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> he could probably do everything he needs from his quarters just sitting there and wirelessly doing everything. Wow. But that but that would be very exciting. <laughs> Or just pl- or just plug in or something like that, like Bishop and Aliens. <laughs> but you yeah. could. You're making me think you of could. milk and cookies again. We don't want to traumatize you anymore. Okay. <laughs> oh gosh, I, I had nightmares for a little while, but I'm better now. <laughs> How about you, Amy? What, uh, give us a realistic one. Okay, this is not a fan favorite. But I'm going to say it anyways because I think it is realistic. I think it is very realistic to have families on board the Enterprise D. I think, number one, it is a ship of exploration. I understand there's risks involved, but when you're going exploring, you are out there for a long time. Time And so you will have, as the Enterprise D is not lovingly known, thanks to Standard Orbit, as the Hilton in the sky. So you've got the comforts of home and you're going to have your family with you. It's main point as we know in next gen is exploration it's not a battle it's not a military yes you're going to encounter it but its main purpose is to explore and so for me i feel that having families on board is very realistic and that families and that you're going to have children being born and all of that stuff so for me i think it makes perfect sense for the next generation well that's interesting i I could see it both ways, right? Um, You know, on the one hand, it could be putting families in danger, but on the other hand, it could be... you know, something that would that would help to keep people's focus so they're not just thinking of people, you know, back home. I mean, although I think for the most part, yeah, I guess the if you think about like exploration, you know, expeditions uh, f- going back in you know our own history, for the most part, I don't think they were taking families on that because it was it was seen as as something that's that's very dangerous. Um, I don't know. I could kind of see it both ways. I also think this is more of a, and I'm thinking of an example. It's more of a military context, but like during the Mexican revolution, I think some, in some of the, the factions, they would, the soldiers would actually take their families with them because they felt it was safer for them to be there than to be in a town that could be raided by another faction. So, you know, I could kind of see it 
both ways. Uh, when I first saw TNG, it didn't really bother me, but then thinking about it after that, it just seems, it seems so dangerous that a lot of times when they're in danger, I'm surprised they don't separate the saucer more often. But what do you think, Richard? I can see it both ways. Um, for like something that's that's doing like let's say deep like exploration probably not a good idea to bring your families because you don't know what's out there obviously um but like something like uh that's a diplomacy uh ship or even just uh i don't want to say like you know um like normal operations like you know ferrying supplies and then you know or or even transportation of some sort like you know what the enterprise e basically did after uh in nemesis that they felt like they were ferry they were like uh disputing um uh, disagreements between worlds and and whatnot so you know something like that i could see families on and i agree with you that it, that's a very realistic thing it's just not deep exploration is what is how i saw um families on board just because just because of how dangerous it can be so it just doesn't seem like me i mean i guess like it's a big i mean in a sense it's a technically a big fortress and um it's got all all kinds of weapons and defenses and all that kind of stuff so i guess i mean but you know that's kind of bold and cocky for um the federation to do something like to send something like that with families on board. So I don't know that, but yeah, but yeah, I, I could see it in both ways. Yeah. I went back and forth with this on, you know, should I bring this up or not? And part of my hesitation was actually from, and you'll have to help me out, but the Voyager episode where seven of nine is reliving those memories of her parents going out to work with the Borg. Now, for me, and when I did from there to here on that, I was against her parents taking her out there because they were working with such this unknown alien species as the Borg, and that wasn't fair to her because that was definite danger, even though the parents kept telling themselves, oh, we're just observing, we're just observing. No, that, that's serious danger. That's different than what I feel the Enterprise D's main mission is, is that it's going around in our quadrant. It's Our quadrant by then is pretty well explored, and yeah, we're taking dignitaries, ambassadors back and forth, you know, dealing with confl- conflicts and... Uh, to me, it just is realistic. So I decided to list that and say that. So listeners, let us know what you think. If I'm totally off base and there should not be families or if you agree. It's interesting you mentioned that Voyager episode, which I had to look it up. But it's called The Raven, where they you know take a young Annika Hansen out in deep exploration. I think that's a little bit different because there's these two people that are going out they don't know if they'll ever come back I, I don't know I guess you maybe it is something that's too much of a, of a risk but she's kind of like all they have so I don't know it's a really good episode yeah. though no no I agree it's it's a really good episode and um, it, it was it, I think I believe it was a precursor before Scorpion wasn't it I think it was it, right before uh, well I mean it, no it, it takes place after Scorpion but you know it of course talks about uh her background yeah mm. okay oh that's right no yeah, yeah yeah you're right you're right oh that's right because they were talking about okay yep got it <laughs> but it's only it's only a few after that Any, that's right anyway yeah, yeah interesting choice yeah. hadn't thought about that one thumbs up <laughs> thanks all right justin uh give, uh give us one okay so 
maybe a bit of the flip side of the one I was talking about before where they fix things so quickly. One of the things I do feel is realistic and something that's different than what you see in the original series is in, in the next generation, they're going to use the energy reserve that they have uh, in order to to address problems. So, you know, their engine's powered by matter-antimatter, which is probably the most efficient way that you could extract energy if you're able to get enough of, of those substances together. And they use that energy to do things like, I think in pen pals, they stop the earthquakes on, on the planet. Um, they can push asteroids out of the way. There are other ways that they're using their enormous energy reserve in order to, to solve a problem or, or for good. I think it makes a lot of sense and it's really realistic that especially when they're not at warp, that they have all of this excess power that they can use to, to solve problems. And I really love when we see that in the next generation. Hmm. What do you guys or think? Or like feed uh, sp- uh, space faring or space creatures. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what was that episode? Oh, um, oh the one where the creatures like a, are... Ravi- yeah. look like a ravioli in space. <laughs> Oh, what is that thing called? I know the one that you're talking about where there are these creatures that latch onto the energy on the yeah, ship. Yeah, yeah. And they're we- like weaning them off or something like that, or at least that's how they that's how they got them off. Yeah. Yeah, so it can be a problem if you have too much too much energy for that. But I do like that they're actually using it for problem solving because I really don't think you saw that in, in the original series where they were trying to manipulate and modify things to to solve problems and to you know help out entire planets to solve their problems i think that's really cool yeah that is great i didn't even consider that but definitely i really appreciate that and it is realistic that you are going to use your reserves and do what you can to help out and i very well done good job justin you are amazing oh thank you well at least maybe at least just for that one (laughs) but no that's something that i think about it every time that i see the next generation like it's so cool they have all this excess energy and it makes sense because matter antimatter reaction is going to produce a lot of energy and they'll just have extra all right so we're going to go back to the negative side we're going knocking the uh, the tennis ball across the court um so one of the things that uh, that i've I've actually seen this several times, and I can't believe I haven't brought it up since then. Generations. So we're gonna go. On, we're gonna talk about generations here. Why didn't Picard pick that moment in Ten Forward to just punch Soren in the face and toss him in the brig before Soren even got back to the observatory and launched the first probe? Because he was in the Nexus, he he could choose. He could choose any time. Why choose that time time frame when he's right there? He already knows what's gonna happen. Just plop his butt right there, right, uh, right before he even before he even leaves. Don't even question it, and then look for the launcher and everything, and be like, "Oh, done. Movie's over. Shh, roll credits." <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I'm just saying, like, you know, of all the times, why couldn't he just choose that? I, I, but I know I understand drama, and you know, it wouldn't be a great story. I get it. <laughs> but like, I mean, just like, uh, why not just do that? Well, I can see your point, definitely. And it goes to any type of time traveling. Like when you, what point do you choose that's going to be the critical point to which you go back so that you can undo what has been done? That is definitely uh, something that would take you out of the movie or the episode that's very unrealistic because it's like, well, if you just went back a few hours, then none of this would have happened or you could have changed it there. Or So defining what is that point 
is yeah important. And Kirk would probably be alive, and we wouldn't—he wouldn't have died on the bridge. That's okay. William Shatner corrected that anyway. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. In his in his books, <laughs> I haven't read them yet, but I've heard that's what he does. <laughs> But of course I, he would. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting in these movies, you have to choose certain certain things to do periods of time in order to keep the, um, the, the drama going. I mean, I think for generations, they were under a lot of time pressure, and they may not have... Uh, possibly thought of these. I'm I'm not all that big of a fan of of generations, so I haven't thought about the point that, that you've brought up. I usually think like, why is Picard in this you know Victorian Christmas time era? <laughs> and that bothers me more, maybe. But yeah, maybe he could have put Sora in a position to deal with him better. That's the dream, man. That's the dream. Yeah, and who was this woman we've never seen before? Why isn't it like? Beverly Crusher or Nella Darren or or Vosh or somebody that he would care about. I don't know. That's a whole other yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a not a good point. We talked about that previously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It's a <laughs> Beverly did. lookalike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, moving along. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, uh, why don't you give us one? All right. So this one annoys me as well. Not so much the technology of it, um, transporters, but the fact that they work sometimes and then they don't work other times. And the most important, annoying one that just gets me every time where it's like, okay, we'll transport down. Now, transporter chief, keep a lock on him and beam him out at the first sign of danger. Well, the, the transporter always breaks down or their signals get lost. And it's just so annoying to me that they have to preface it with beam him out at the first sign of danger. And then Okay, if you have to say beam them out at the first sign of danger, then maybe you should take down some pattern enhancers with you. So in case you lose signal, you can boost that pattern. So that's my solution, because whenever I hear it, it's like they're not going to be able to beam them out. You said it just it's very unrealistic to me. You know, if we change a few of those words, it makes it sound like you're complaining about your cell phone. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no I, I totally agree it's like you know uh, they're down for maintenance or something like that it's like why did you choose now and plus they've got like three or four of them aren't i mean we only hear about what transporter room four or something no like there's that. there's uh i think there's more because in oh i think it's um is it which which episode is it where they have to um like abandon Evacuate. the ship is it um, the Shelliac? Um, no 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 is it starship no it's not starship mine anyway there's a, there's an episode where they have to evacuate the complete ship and they, they're giving the numbers i think it goes up to like 15 or 16 they actually have a lot of transporter rooms they really do they have to they actually name are it. you talking about like the the when they had to do the the baryon sweep is that what you're talking about no oh you know what um it's uh one one zero zero one zero zero one the one with ah. the binars right where they where they have yep. something and they have to evacuate the ship that's right in the first season i think and they actually give the numbers and i think it goes up to 15 or 16 so they actually have a lot of transport rooms but that's the only time where you hear anything above three or four i think but there 
there's been a lot of times where they have to evacuate, like you were saying with the Shellyac and how many people can we get or the Irish episode where they're beaming up all these people up the long ladder, I think it is. You know, so there's quite a few times where they are using the transporters. But what's the annoying thing is that they lose them at the most critical point. And I understand it's a plot to this story, but it's just like, okay, if there's going to be any sign of danger, do something to, you know, override that, bring down some pattern enhancers, you know? Yeah. They should make it at least as safe as, you know, flying on a plane is now, right? Because, you know, 99.99% of the time you're going to make it there and you're going to be fine, right? It should be at least that safe, but it's clearly less than that from what we see. Especially with the triple redundancies that uh, O'Brien likes to brag about. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You would, you would think by then, because I think in enterprise they established you know by they they've had transporters since the 22nd century so you think if they have it for a couple hundred years that it would be super safe and they'd have all these safeguards i mean we've been flying in planes for a little over a hundred years and it's it's actually very very safe right you think it would be at least as good as that you would hope you know yes transportation issues in the 24th century real world problems yes all right justin give us one okay so this is unrealistic we're still on right Yes, we oh, are. Yeah. All right. So here's one that always bothers me. There's a crisis. Something's happening. It looks like, you know, within a couple of hours or maybe even a couple of minutes, the Enterprise is going to get destroyed. So what do they do? They go over to the observation lounge to have a conference and talk it through. Like if it's so critical and it's such a crisis, why don't you just talk right there on the bridge? I would hope that all of the crew that are on the bridge are cleared to hear whatever's going on, right? Like why go over to the room over there and be like, oh, let's see what's going on. Let's take a few minutes to to file over there and get our presentation ready. That always bothers me. That's that is great. so funny. So you're funny. right. You're right. You would think that those people are the most trusted. Uh, it's it, and and they can they can keep a secret or whatever you know. But like. Yeah, you're right. But why have a meeting? It's it, it's a crisis, right? Like, I, I mean, if if you think about, um, you know, the, like the seconds and minutes count. So why even walk over there? Why not just like huddle around the captain's chair and and talk about talk it through, right? <laughs> Enterprise on three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can just to put it out there i do see maybe what they're trying to go like if you are really faced with this problem and granted most of the time it is time sensitive but if it's not time sensitive then you do want to remove yourself from the situation to gain a little more perspective and maybe that's the idea that they're going with that okay we're going to go to the conference room put our heads together you know picard gets to hear everyone's input and not be surrounded with the pressures of doing your job as well as coming up with brainstorming ideas. So maybe that's what they're going for, but I totally get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, if it's not time sensitive, sure, you have a me- schedule a meeting and you talk about it, but if it's time sensitive, why waste the time to go over to, to, the, to have a conference in the observation lounge? I don't know, that, that, that's just always bothers me well, every time they do that. It's those lowly con officers. They they're not they don't have the clearance, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> 
That's what you get for not passing your background check. Well, I mean, but also a lot of times they're getting this situation on the bridge. So, you know, the lowly con officer knows what's going on. Right. So it's not a secret. Anyway. Exactly. Actually, you know what? That actually would be better if the con officer knew what was going on. So at least instead of like relaying all these orders all over, all over again and be like, well, what if he what if he gets confused? He what he he can't ask any questions? Right. Yeah. So one of, one of those things, but maybe they just needed to keep using that set, and make it use, useful. I mean, it's not like Enterprise where the bridge and the conference room is all in one room. Yeah, you know? there's just like a little table right off the bridge, right? Right. Which right which in kind the back, of yeah. which, which actually makes more more sense. It doesn't take as long hopefully to get there and get things ready and you have a table where you can see all the displays. I I like that that layout they have on the nx01 we're not talking about enterprise i know i know we've we we've gone into warp 5 into the journey territory so far who knows what else we'll touch Uh oh (laughs) (laughs) all right so we're gonna bounce it right back over again (laughs) realistic again so one of the things that i really like about some of these episodes is uh, when it, when we when we talk about like moral issues and everything is the prime directive. I love it, absolutely love it. I mean, I, yeah, there are some things that I mean it makes sense on to when when to make contact and when not to, and then obviously there are times where you have to bend it or or even break it. <laughs> but like you know, it's it's something that's a very good rule. And you know, okay, we're going back to Enterprise again. Um, I love it that Enterprise struggles with that in the very beginning and shows how how damaging that can be. And that you know, because we really don't. I mean, yeah, we, they discuss it in TNG a little bit, but they don't really go into really much detail in, into why that is. It is the way it is, and Enterprise is a perfectly and just you know explains it but i'm glad that it's you know it's in there and it and you know they try to do what they can to explain it but i i really love the prime directive um as a whole for being a realistic and, po- and possibly even something that um that will be adopted by our own space exploration whatever if we ever have one yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that because there was actually a poll that was done recently to to kind of test what people would think about something like the prime directive for alien life forms and it it didn't poll that well (laughs) most people were like i don't care we'll just do whatever we want to (laughs) which i think is kind of which i think is kind of disappointing i'll have to find that because it was interesting that somebody actually asked that question but i i think it's realistic too because like it gives some of the background in enterprise there's some more background of what leads to the prime directive in the enterprise relaunch novels where things can go terribly horribly wrong if you're not respecting what becomes the the prime directive because there's i think there's two things if if you have superior technology you can do things that lead to a lot more problems and possibly a lot more suffering than you're trying to save them from. And also, even if they have similar technology, if you're trying to do something to influence their their culture, or their religious beliefs or something like that, it can end up really hurting and unraveling that kind of society. So I, I like it a lot. I've seen people feel different ways about it, that it's a good thing or they think it's, it's a terrible thing. But I think it, it makes a lot of sense because in trying to do what you think is good in intervening with another society, you can cause many more problems that you haven't anticipated. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think that the prime directive is very realistic because, and especially again, looking back at enterprise, you can see the growth of it and why it is so needed. And it, 
TNG touches on Prime Directive all the time and showing the diplomacy and working and having these set guidelines to follow. And like I said, guidelines, sometimes not always followed to the best, but, you know, dealing with the spirit of the law um, plays an important part. And this, I definitely feel it's very realistic. Good, good point. All right, Amy, let's 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 hear a positive one. Okay, so one thing that I enjoy is seeing the tractor beam. I like it when it pushes. I like when it pulls. I just think it's so realistic that they're going to have this beam and it's going to be able to either tow something. And especially with those large ships, you just can't beam it aboard, but you can't leave it out in space. So you're going to tow it to the nearest star station or what have you. And uh, they've done that uh, trying like with cause and effect, although not the most effective, but, you know, trying to push themselves off of another ship or, you know, just all the things that they use the tractor beam for, I think are so creative. And I just like, oh, I just I love it. I really enjoy the tractor beam. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. And actually, they've started to develop the first kind of elements of a real tractor beam. I don't think it works quite the way it does in Star Trek. It works maybe, I'm trying to remember if, if, if it's just on a radio wavelength or something like that. But but they've started to develop like an actual tractor beam that can push and pull things, which is great. Well, they've got it enough to push okay. but they don't have it yet to pull oh, okay but but they but they're laying some of the groundwork i would think in like 300 years you could push and pull a starship yeah it's cool <laughs> and there wasn't anything like that when they were first doing that yeah yeah i don't think there was anything that was in i don't well i wouldn't know i don't, I don't know if there was anything in development or something like that obviously star trek inspired because i mean obviously like uh what even back in the 60s something um bluetooth was was just being developed and i think that's where they um got the idea for a communicator and all that kind of stuff but yeah you know and i wouldn't be surprised like, if the scientists who were working on this tractor beam were inspired just by seeing that in star trek that's happened for a lot of things which is great and and star trek can help to make things realistic just by showing it yeah the creativity of it is just astounding and to see how far we've come from the first ideas of what we've saw on tv that were so impossible at the time awesome well good that's a that's a good one that's a good one i, l- I love that love the tractor beam uh justin all right so for my next realistic pick i'm gonna pick something that maybe is unusual for this topic um so you know, one of the things that i like to think about for for star trek are the relationships in the show um and it can be the case that i'm not talking about star trek necessarily but for some shows where they'll try to push like a certain friendship like these people are friends and they really like each other and they hang out and do things but what i find really realistic is the the data Jordy friendship because they have this thing in common where they're both kind of outsiders and they're different and they can kind of see things from each other's perspectives and I feel like the way that it develops like over the course of all the episodes and all of the years it feels like this kind of gradually deepening friendship that I like you know following through when I when I rewatch the show so I feel like they're not like pushing anything that's unrealistic I think it's very realistic that these uh, you know two outsiders with their experiences would develop this really super close friendship I'm gonna add on to that because I love the Geordi Data 
uh, friendship that they have and how that is shown. I mean, almost from day one, you see them working together and having same ideas. And, you know, especially when Jordy becomes chief engineer, like that's when it really takes off and Data's always in engineering and, you know, helping. And, and Jordy's very open to have Data help out and stuff like that. And, you can see data go to Jordy many times for questions and, you know, stuff like that. One other relationship that I feel started to bloom a little late was the Troy and uh, Dr. Beverly Crusher. And by season seven, they're going to the gym together. They're hanging out. They're talking to each other. And I think that that relationship, uh, it could have started sooner because that is, again, just a natural that those two women would be going to each other for support. They're the two main, you know, female bridge officers and, you know, on, on high up in the command structure, I guess you would say. But that they have so much in common um, I think that I love seeing that relationship, especially in season six and season seven develop. And that is very realistic in my mind. So do you think that Jordy also uses them as like a, a, a technical manual too to look up manuals? So that's the reason why they don't have like books on the shelves or anything like that. Cause I know they can't remember everything uh, that in every single technical manual that Data's there, but like, hey, Data, what uh, what you think about this? And it's like, oh, hold on a second, let me look it up. Yeah, no, it's a great, it, no, it, I agree, it, uh, very realistic. I also want to add to that. Also, it's probably also because they're very, uh, they, their interests align align this uh, the same way. Because obviously, you know, doing. I'm, I'm assuming doing uh, engineering uh, or you know uh, repairing the ship and just the ship in general is uh, very technical and obviously data is you know very technical as at the same time so you know obviously he Jordy can use them as a tool as well and vice versa with Jordy um, with his personal with you know being closer to humanity and all that kind of stuff so yeah like yeah I could see that as well but they can yeah. even do fun things like like being Holmes and Watson on the holodeck right they can just have some fun that doesn't have to do with engineering I, I love the those parts of it and getting themselves into trouble yeah <laughs> <laughs> of course they're good friends they got to get into trouble by challenging each other. <laughs> yeah, and their relationship on the holodeck with the Sherlock Holmes and Watson. thats It's great. It's really, really good. You know, how fun would that be if they reversed roles? Data be Watson and Jordy tried to be uh, Holmes. Would... Would it be hard for Data to not intervene? That's <laughs> or, what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm like, I don't think Data could do it. <laughs> or, would, or would Data be like, okay, if Watson is just taking down these stories of Holmes, can I just set a program to do that? Why do I have to be here for that? What am I contributing to all this? Right? Yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> or he just solves it. Yeah, screw it. <laughs> I've been done with this for a while. <laughs> Right on. All right. All right. We're returning serve back over to the other side. So my last pick, and I know you guys talked about it, or at least, yeah, you guys talked about it. The boy genius himself. Mr. Wait, is Wesley this realistic or unrealistic? Unrealistic. Oh, Richard. <laughs> so obviously I wasn't there for that episode because I was off whitewater rafting. Um, but like... Um, 
Yeah, one of the things that really bothered. Okay, so one of my favorite movies is Iron Eagle, and same, and it's the same thing. It's the same kind of problem. Children basically are basically have that base wired to do whatever they need to do, which actually kind of terrifies me if that was actually true. Uh, <laughs> but like, um, it, it's the same thing. Like, why why can this? I guess I, I guess if he's older, yeah. But I mean, I mean, why can why can this why does this boy basically have all this knowledge and is able to run a starship? Which I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm thinking more like in military cl- uh, terms because I would think that ninety percent of what's going on is classified, and you don't want like anyone and everyone. Which is also probably re- another reason why children shouldn't be on board either. Uh, but <laughs> but like. Like, um, you know, they talk, you know, they, they've talked about, you know, how Worf is watching over anyone that comes aboard that's not that's not uh, Starfleet or anything like that, that, you know, they don't want them to oversee some certain things on Starship operations and whatnot. So why this boy? I mean, I understand he's the child. Uh, he's, you know, he's he's a uh, he's a dependent of Beverly Crusher and she's a high ranking officer. But does that is that really realistic? You know? But well, that's as, just me. As I wasn't there on that episode because I wasn't part of Earl Grey yet. But uh, that's right. I, but I I like Wesley actually, and you know that as the traveler knows, he is special. He is a bit beyond our plane. So there is an explanation built into the into the show for it. And uh, I like Wesley. It's he's never bothered me at all. But uh, I know there's a lot of division about how you feel about that character. Well, and I think with like what you were saying with the sensitivity of so much information that happens on the bridge and in engineering, does he have the maturity enough to hear what he hears and then not say anything? And me dealing with high school students all the time, they talk, 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 talk. So there's no way that this is very unrealistic. You know, I mean, I don't know how mature he is, but even the most mature of teenagers is going to blab and blurb. And especially when you've got these high sensitive, highly sensitive communications and problems going on that it's, it is unrealistic. I can see your point there. And you know, uh, you know that they're going to have a social network. And I don't even know if they thought about social networks uh, or maybe we'll find out in discovery. We'll see, I guess. Um, I don't, maybe we'll see. Um, But but like, you you know, like they'll have like uh, the 24th century of Snapchat or something like that. I'm sure that's going to be out there. And, you know, um, or even Facebook or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I think the closest uh, they the closest they got was the episode, the game where this game was spreading virally across the ship. It's kind of the closest they got to something like social media. But 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 I was thinking in the concept where the, this game comes aboard and it kind of spreads viral, virally. They were predicting something that could happen in the future, but it wasn't quite like you know a social network or social media. And at the time, they weren't even thinking about the internet or email or anything like that. But the way people were addicted to it is how people get addicted to things on social right, media. I, that, I guess that's more what I meant. Spread more word of mouth, and that. I wouldn't have put that under social media. And then you could see it like on like it'd be like a communal uh, YouTube video or something like that. That back uh, that backpack challenge. Have you ever seen that? 
You ever, have you ever seen that at your school, Amy? No, what is it? Kids go, it's called a backpack. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. <laughs> but it's it's the back, basically kids line up on two sides with their backpacks, obviously filled with something, books, whatever, whatever they have in there. And the challenge is, is to go right through the middle of it and survive, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Oh, sort of like Red Rover? Yeah, but I'm sure you'll break a bone doing this one. <laughs> but no, I'm just saying like, you know, uh, if so and the reason why I brought that up was because uh, if something like the game happened and let's say that someone put it on YouTube, it's space YouTube or something like that, you would think that, that that would spread a lot faster than just going to an actual starship and say, hey, here's a game. Would you like to try it? Sort of thing. And and um, that they would see it that way, that it would evolve that way. Anyway, but yeah, that's obviously that's I'm sure they didn't think of it that way. So or at least obviously nothing, anything like that would have existed back then. But today, I think it would have spread a lot faster if they had something like YouTube and everyone was able to access those videos like they do today. So like back uh, like backpack uh, challenge. It's terrifying on some of those videos. <laughs> Kids. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Who's next? Oh, uh, Amy. Let's see. Let's hear about your first, uh, your last one. Okay. So what I find unrealistic, again, in those states of emergency, uh, if someone gets injured on the bridge and they call for medical emergency, and then you see Beverly Crusher walking out of the med bay, obviously through the halls. You're imagining this. She's going in the uh, elevator. What's that called? Turbo lift. Thank you. So she's going in the turbo lift and then finally getting to the bridge. Or if something's happening uh, and Jordy's on the bridge and he needs to get to engineering he goes to the turbo lift, goes down to engineering. So I find that unrealistic. Why are they not activating the in-ship transportation? Like, beam, beam me to the engineering right now. I have to get down there. There's a core breach, and he's going to take his time in the turbo lift. I don't know. In my mind, and we, there's lots of experts out there, like you've got the bridge up top, engineering's at the bottom. There's distance there, and no matter how fast the turbo lift is, if you're transporting there, that's going to be faster than taking the time to walk to a turbo lift and get there. Or if someone's life is in danger, aren't you going to immediately just do this in-ship transportation and get to that person? Oh, definitely. I, I, I think you're right. They, they should have like a site to site transport for that. And in the case for Jordy, when he's on the bridge, he's on the top there and the engineering is in a secondary hull. So it's not even part of that primary saucer section. So he'd have to take it like down and then across and over and it would take a while to get there, wouldn't it? Exactly. So I'm like, that is so unrealistic. Just transport yourself to the location that you need to be or security. You know, and Worf's going to take his time to walk through the halls to get to the certain cabin or whatever. No. And and the funny thing is it would probably be cheaper just to do like a transport effect on the bridge than to film them going out, going down the hallway to another set. Right. I mean, you'd think it would be it'd be quicker that way, too. Yes. It adds more drama to the to the whole entire scene. And it gives the uh, 
stage crew, stage hands, whatever, um, to move the set around. Yeah, to well, open the doors. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe there's 30 seconds they have to fill up during the hour. There That's you how go. I fill it. <laughs> see, uh, see, Jordy running around, uh, running around the ship. <laughs> so He's I found that workout. pretty unrealistic. Yeah, you're right. No, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in, even in the game, like he did site to site transport to get out of uh, 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 getting out of um, security and, and whatnot and going all over the place. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, we've seen it. It's not like that we haven't seen it. So that's why I'm like, we should be seeing it a lot more often. You know, maybe what it is is that when they're running around, they ha- they don't have a, a much script or something like that. And then when they have too much script, they do side-to-side <laughs> transports. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I've learned a secret of the writers of TNG. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin, let's let's hear your th- your final one. All right, so here's here's something. All right, so we know that Starfleet Academy is on Earth in San Francisco, right? How is that realistic when you have a federation that has 150 member worlds and that spreads across 8,000 light years, right? Does everybody, even if they're the furthest reaches of the federation, need to travel thousands of light years to get to Starfleet Academy? That makes no sense. They should have all kinds of like satellite campuses. They should have, you know, Starfleet Academy Vulcan or and or or whatever the furthest reaches of the federation are it should be all over the place but it seems like whenever we see it in any series it's in san francisco and that's it like why is that the case yeah i agree and plus like if we as we see in first contact and through uh enterprise like Vulcan, in my opinion, should be where it starts because they are the ones that, you know, are more advanced than us. And so it's like we come into their existence of, you know, traveling this space. And so to create this federation, it would seem like Vulcan would take the lead on it. So, yeah, I agree. Well, but Earth, I, I guess in Enterprise and in the books, Earth does take the, the lead in that. So it makes sense that there would be like a Starfleet Academy there. But why not? elsewhere it would seem that you would be discriminating against other member worlds of the federation who might want to have people in starfleet but they have to travel hundreds or thousands of light years to get there that that doesn't make sense that they wouldn't have like all of, like maybe there's a main starfleet academy but there should be all kinds of satellite outposts there should be dozens of them throughout the federation right so are you saying like they do math in vulcan so amy would be at vulcan the campus in vulcan <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, maybe they have certain specialties. There you go. There you go. Yeah, because different <laughs> universities have different specialties. I don't know. It just seems odd that they've always wanted to establish that it's there. And also, maybe a related thing. So Starfleet Command is in San Francisco. That's that's fine. But when you have such a sprawling um, you know, group of, of planets, they should actually also have kind of subsets of that that have some kind of autonomy to make decisions, like a different kind of command for different sectors because otherwise, if the Federation is really 8,000 light years across, then even with the subspace message, it could take a while to get to the furthest reaches. They should have some kind of command that's there on the ground, and they don't really talk about that. I I think they... No, they have star bases, but that's a little different than than being able to have like at, like issuing orders out of something that has the authority as if it was like command. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, because I I remember from the wounded 
um, that they were talking about, uh, like, you know, obviously they're, um, uh, not Jellico. Um, uh, uh, Maxwell. Um, Maxwell, thank you. Yeah, Maxwell. Um, you know, he, uh, they were, uh, you know, he, I remember him talking about, uh, get, getting orders and they, they uh, that the brass up on top don't know what we're what we're dealing about uh, dealing with out here and I believe because the champ was on was on that one as well where maybe I'm maybe I'm, maybe I'm just making things up I don't know <laughs> but like uh, I, I feel like I feel like there was but there wasn't really talk about it that there was an there was an actual command out there like I don't know Cardassian Frontier Command or something like that. I don't know. Um, but like, um, I would assume that they would at least break that up a little bit. I mean, obviously, the mili- th- that's how the military does it. I mean, you can't, only one person can handle so much or, or group or whatever you want to call it. Um, but like, um, I would assume so. But they really, yeah, you're right. They really don't really talk about it, um, the breakup of, the co- of command. It has to come from the top. That's what it se- that's what it seems like. It seems very very centralized, which I think is unrealistic. But like Starfleet Academy especially so. There I mean, unlike for command where you might have star bases and maybe they could have something. It's like, oh really? You have to travel all the way to San Francisco for that? That seems seems kind of odd. All right. So we're going to end this on a positive note. <laughs> so we're going back to the other side. Um so a realistic thing that I Absolutely, I actually didn't even think about this until until we started doing this episode. It was the hypo spray? I love that. Uh, there's there's a uh, there's a program that's called the Future War Program uh, that the Army started. I don't know. 10 years ago or something like that but basically this is this is kind of what they this is what they kind of were trying to do was that basically they'll have like a command center they'll have you know the commanders and all that and also a medic will be in there well the idea is to send a soldier in um basically with everything that they need and that includes medic uh, medicine uh, like a like a in uh, like a in store medic or something like that so basically you have a computer in your helmet and if you get injured or something like that the medic can administer uh, medicine of whatever it is straight into the body of uh, of the soldier that's injured and or if like if they're falling asleep you know inject them with adrenaline or something like that or or something like that but i mean something that i found that was realistic because that that program actually came out or at least the, the idea of the program i don't know where it's at now but like um I think it was like in 2003 is when they really started uh, talking about it a lot. I don't know. Have you guys heard? Have you guys heard about that before? No, it sounds no, I awesome. Though. I haven't heard about that. Yeah, but well, I mean, that was when they were trying to do drones and everything, and you know, basically one soldier in the battlefield and have like um like a mule with a with with weapons on it and actually do support while the one soldier does whatever and basically the the armor on the soldier would be so advanced a past it made it, made it look like everyone was going to be in a third world country but like it made us so much more advanced than anyone else that would be on the battlefield that yeah that that we would just require one maybe or even a squad of soldiers which is like five to ten so uh but basically that was the idea that they were trying to i don't know where it's at now but i think it's possible still i mean maybe maybe not as small as a hypo spray (laughs) but definitely you know at least a backpack or something like that or maybe if they can do it if they find a compound that'll do all of that like a hypo spray does but i think it's really realistic that it'll get to that point one of these days well and actually actually the 
um, I'd read a little bit about this. The hypospray was, I think, based off of a real-life invention called the jet injector that was used uh, starting, I think, in the early 60s to to inject vaccines kind of directly through the skin. But they had a problem eventually with, um, with bacteria and things like that being injected along with it. So I don't think it's used as, as much, but it was actually inspired, I think, by a real-life in- invention that did something kind of like that. Well, it just seems to be, it just seems to fix everything. <laughs> oh yeah. We've got pain. Here you go. We've got a cure. Here you go. Yeah. It would be, it would be great if it, if it worked like that and you didn't have to have like a real in- injection. Um, although they seem to be able to do magical things with a transporter. Why not just transport something into your bloodstream? <laughs> I was just thinking that too. I was like, instead of needles, it just transports it right through your skin. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> or at least it morphs into whatever you need in, uh, right into your skin or right into your bloodstream, like you were saying. Yeah. A transporter can do anything. See? We're back to that transporter thing again. All right. So, um, oh, wait. Are we moving on? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, we can move on. Okay. No, you're good. All right. So, for my final realistic thing, I really enjoy having and seeing them make food on their own. And I know that sounds weird because there's always the replicator and they're always going. Um, but like when we see Riker whipping up some of those weird eggs, I can't remember from where they the are. Ones that, the ones that Worf loves so much and everyone else thinks are disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so actually like taking the time, and I know it's not going to happen often, but I think it's very realistic for them to get back to making the food and enjoying a meal together. I just found that very realistic to me. Do you think that they would be making food on special occasions or would they always use a replicator? I'm getting hungry thinking about it, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, that's also one thing that uh, I try to avoid. I don't, I can't even tell you how many times I've had jambalaya. No, thanks to Deep Space Nine. (laughs) So, but like, um, or like, you know, just food, those food in general. Yeah, I I agree. It, it, it makes, I think it's totally realistic. And I think that maybe people back into the future would think of it as, I don't know, a hobby or something like that versus an actual um, uh, life skill. Because, I mean, based on what's based on, you know, how technology is advanced in the future, I would hope they would be able to cook back into the future. I hope so. Well, yeah. And even when like Guinan's making a drink and you just have to do it just so you don't want to replicate it, you know, the whatever sunrise, you know, how she makes it just perfectly. And, you know, the the hand making of your food and drink, I think, is is still going to continue, especially on special occasions and I find that realistic. I, I think it would. And I think there's there's a certain analogy, which is, uh, which is for music. You know, you can listen to anything, pretty much anything digitally that you want to, but um, I'm a fan of listening to things on vinyl because it gives a different sound quality to it. It's something that's, you know, obsolete in certain ways, but that's become more popular over the years because of that. And I could see, you know, cook food that's physically cooked tasting different or, or being different so that people would, would want that kind of as a special thing. Like not an all the time thing, but a special kind of thing in the same way. Because people are busy in the future. People are busy now. I need a replicator. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good with me. I'd have steak every night. <laughs> it, would be, it could be oh, dangerous. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it would be dangerous, actually. <laughs> That's why you need the hypo spray. No more gout. <laughs> you know what yeah you're right actually yeah that would that definitely would fix it i mean yeah i wonder about that though because they talk sometimes about how the the replicator can make something that tastes like that like tastes like steak for example but has you know all these these perfectly balanced nutritional aspects to it so yeah like but, synthahol right yeah. you have the drink yeah but synthahol is not fun yeah but you don't have the <laughs> side you? effects of being hungover or i guess drunk so why are you drinking it? I don't know. I uh, never I understood synthahol. <laughs> Synthahol's not that, well. That's the unrealistic side. Oh, uh, sorry. You want to you want to do that? You want to get drunk? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right, Justin. Let's hear your final one. Okay, so um, my final one has to do with the mapping expeditions we see the Enterprise D taking. So sometimes they're going out to to you know map a, a star system or a stellar cluster or something like that, and we find out they even have a stellar sciences department. I think it's it's really um, you know realist. I know it is supposed to be a ship of of exploration, but I think initially we're thinking about it in terms of making contact with other civilizations or kind of seeing what's out there. But I like that they have this aspect of seeing what's out there and also doing things like you know observing the explosion of a star and I, I just I just love all the those kind of scientific you know mapping um, aspects it may not be the most exciting thing and we only see it a couple of times but I think it's very realistic that they would do that kind of thing and not just rely on their subspace telescopes to see what's out there but actually you know visit it and get more information and do tests and all of that things that only people, that are there could do. I really like that. Yeah, goes back to my point of having family on board. It's a ship of exploration. See how Richard's I turn convinced. that around? <laughs> no, no, I like it. I like uh, yeah, it. that is great. And again, exploring and seeing the things firsthand, you know, when they look at the quasar or whatever, this binary star, and they are taking the time to look at it with their eyes and not through any sensors or anything. That's very realistic. Yeah, it would be a good show for the families. Better have your solar flare uh, glasses on. <laughs> or solar your supernova glasses. glasses. <laughs> Actually, you don't even need to do that. You could just tint the window. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, it's been a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be to talk about uh, the moments or the realistic and unrealistic moments of TNG. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Meta Treks. I don't like to have too much time, Zachary, to sit and contemplate because I do sometimes end up second-guessing my my decisions. But that... Second-guess your whole life if you second guess, yourself, yeah, you know, absolutely, that's not good. <laughs> absolutely. And honestly, that is a recurring theme, I think, in this season. Standard Orbit. Well, I, I think everything comes back to the naked time for him, and he just can't get away from swords. Running around with a sword. Yeah. Just running around with a sword. So maybe it was this episode that started that whole thing, but man, yeah, he's, it's kind of an odd thing <laughs> that he's, he's defined by a sword in his hand, you know? Literary treks. Oh, Matthew, I'm doing just fine. You know, it's always fun every week to hop on here and talk Star Trek books and comics with you, and... I don't know if you realize this, Matthew, but this is our 200th episode of Literary... Ter 
Wait a minute, Matthew. We don't host this show anymore. And introducing The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. But if I ended up missing an episode, I would record 45 minutes of blank space on my VHS tape, and then I would wait until it came around, and then I would put the episode in its proper order. This explains so much. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, very unrealistic of you, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place is uh, to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and you should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Justin, where can people contact you and tell you their realistic points of next gen well you can contact me and tell me about your realistic and unrealistic parts of next generation or anything else star trek on twitter i'm at trekfan4747 where i tweet about nothing but star trek and i'm currently tweeting out my season three rewatch of tng and you can also find me hanging around the babel conference on facebook so richard where can people find you well people can tell me i'm crazy on facebook i am on babel the babel conference here and there and i'm also on on Twitter uh, at xransom. So Amy, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter as well at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference, so I'll look for you there. Now, if you would like to keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And at this time, we'd like to thank our associate producers, Michael Huter and Justin Ozer. We truly appreciate your continual support of Earl Grey. So we have a fabulous giveaway and... Richard is going to tell us about it, so listen up. We have an outstanding book. It's called Trekonomics, and I recommend it. 
just to recommend it. Do you recommend it, Justin? Absolutely. It's a great book. Absolutely. So you got two recommendations. It's a great book and we're giving it away. Thanks to Lee Hutchinson, who has graciously donated this uh, book to us. And so listeners in the UK, we would love to hear your thoughts about Earl Grey. So give us a star rating and a review on the iTunes store. And you have until the end of September. On September, around the end of September, we're going to draw a name and give you this awesome Trekonomics books. So please, listeners, if you can, take some time and leave us a review and rating on the iTunes store. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and gratitude. Things are only impossible until they're not. Today is a good day to die.